ahead. We are going to tie together a few things here today. It's a happening kind of week. Can you believe 1st of July? Summer's here. I guess the heat really comes next weekend from what I understand, right? So we'll keep it cooled down in here, so don't worry about that. But uh, we are going to bring together the conclusion of a series that we've been in called If You Want to Walk on Water, Then You Got to Get Out of the Boat. And uh, we're also going to tie that together then with this whole understanding of what really freedom is in our world. And as it is normally on the first Sunday of a month for us as a church family, we're going to join together with a time around communion. And then we're going to be praying for our students as they head up the mountain uh, for camp. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, here this morning, you have a plan and a purpose. I don't know who it's for. Some of us come here on a regular basis. Some of us may be here for the first time. Some of us hit and miss. But Jesus, I know that everyone in this room is here for a purpose today and that your spirit wants to speak. So, Lord, may I get out of the way and may your spirit speak through your word for freedom. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we were having some microphone issues today, so I am on the handheld mic, which is good. You know why it's good? Because this is the evangelist mic. All right? And so you always preach a little bit harder with uh, the mic in hand kind of idea. But um, I want to uh, just encourage us that the weeks that we've been in concerning this idea of taking some risky obedience of your life, uh, I hear different people uh, expressing, hey, God's been using this story of Jesus walking on the water and calling Peter get out of the boat to really impact my life and to take some stands. And uh, I want to encourage you in that to keep on in your faith walk and seeking Christ and however he's spoken to you over these weeks to take initiative for something new that he's calling you to. But what I'd like to do with this last week is actually take this story of Jesus walking on the water and use it as an analogy for this whole understanding of freedom and salvation in our life and for our world at hand. As you recall, the story is Jesus had just fed the, feed, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, so he went up on the hillside. He dismissed his disciples to get in the boats to go across the Sea of Galilee. He said, you know, hey, I'll meet up with you there. I'm going to dismiss the people. The disciples get in the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. They're freaking out. <clears throat> and Jesus chooses to walk on the water. And so he gets up from where he's at on the one side of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to Gennesaret on the other side, and he's walking on the water in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night, and he's going to pass them by. And they look at him, and they go, oh, my goodness, who is that? What is that? It's a ghost, they uh, exclaim. And then they start to realize that it's not a ghost, but it's, it's Jesus himself, and he is um, walking past them to show him his power and his glory. And it says this, but when he saw the, the strong winds and the waves, and this was Peter after he'd gotten out of the boat then, and he's walking on the water towards Jesus. He was terrified, and he began to sink, and he shouted out, Save me, Lord. And we mentioned last week, this is the shortest prayer in the Bible. Save me, Lord. <clears throat> a prayer of desperation. And usually that's about the only time a lot of us end up praying is in desperation. And we talked about some of the different kinds of prayers last week that really need to be a part of our life. But this analogy, this idea that Peter has gotten out of the boat, he's walking to Jesus, he then gets surrounded by the waves, he sees the wind, which is really the storm, he begins to sink, he calls out, save me, Jesus reaches down, and he does that. 
He reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? So, I want to take this analogy. Disciples in the boat. Not going well. You're in your life. Maybe your life's not going that great. But Jesus comes by. There's opportunity for some salvation there. So you step out of the boat and you've walked towards Jesus. And you're having a pretty cool experience. Because maybe first time you commit your life to Christ, you're following Christ, there's a salvation kind of experience, stepping out of the boat, you're walking towards Jesus. But then as you are in this experience of walking towards Jesus, life hits you again. You begin to sink. Jesus steps in. He saves you again in the midst of life, in the midst of the storm. And then what happens after Jesus grabs Peter and pulls him back up? He takes Peter and they get back in the boat. And that's where Jesus calms the storm and they're all safe. There's something about the salvation then that comes back in the boat. So what I'd like to talk today about is the whole word salvation. Probably good for heading off for camp too as we pray for our students. I want to talk about the three tenses of salvation. The word salvation means deliverance, which then means freedom. And we do not have any sense of salvation or a need for salvation unless we feel that we are in the middle of something in our own life, in all of situations where we need to be delivered, we need to find freedom. So if you ever get confused about this word salvation or why do Christians talk about being saved a lot, if you're sort of new, just sort of checking out God today, understand this, salvation, being saved, has to do with deliverance and freedom. It doesn't have to do with ruining your life. Jesus did not come to ruin your life. John 10.10 says, the thief, the adversary, Satan, he comes to still kill and destroy. That's the one who wants to ruin life. But Jesus, it says on the heels of that statement, says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus is about deliverance. He's about freedom. He's about fullness. He's about you living life as he intended for you to live. So he is constantly working day in and day out. If you called God up today and said, what have you been doing today, God? He says, I've been working. You say, what have you been working on? He says, I've been working on you. And he says, well, how have you been working on me? I've been working on you to deliver you, bring you freedom, and make you into everything God wanted you to be. But somewhere we get it twisted and turned through maybe our upbringing, maybe some religious circles that we were around, or, or maybe some people that said they were followers of Jesus and they really weren't too cool or something. We've got it twisted and turned around that Jesus is out to not lead us into deliverance and freedom, but he's out to restrict our life and confine us and, and, and make us not have enjoyment. But if you're going to use the word salvation, if you're going to understand What having faith is all about, it's about deliverance. It's about freedom. And as the video cast light on, and we're addressed here a little bit more in a second, a week of celebrating freedom and independence in our nation, there is nothing better that we can do as followers of Christ or even as a seeker of God today than to talk about what real freedom is. Because sometimes... We get confused, even if we've been walking with Christ for a long time. So the three tenses, 
of salvation. The Apostle Paul, God radically saved his life post-Jesus being raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul took the gospel, the message of Jesus about his salvation and freedom to the known world at that time. The most powerful theological letter concerning salvation that Paul wrote was the letter to the Christians in Rome. If you were to study that letter, he unpacks it in an incredible way. Deep, fascinating, enriching truth concerning deliverance and freedom and salvation. He starts off that letter in the scriptures in Romans in verse 116 and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Has anybody in here ever been to Rome? Yeah, there's a few. That's pretty cool. Any of you ever been to Athens or uh, somewhere in Greece? All right. So that known world at the time, right there in the heart of Rome in particular, was the heart of civilization. The elites were gathered there. The educated were gathered there. And here comes the Apostle Paul declaring to these individuals at the hub of all civilization that some Jewish carpenter prophet from Galilee they should give attention to and start following. Now, that's a pretty bold step. And you think about all the civilization and elitism going on all the time for him to take that kind of message right into the pocket of that culture. But he stands up, and the first thing he's saying is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul's sort of sheepish going, you know, I'm, I'm sort of not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not really ashamed too much of Jesus, that kind of thing. What he's using here is a figure of speech that sort of turns the, uh, a negative to the positive for impact. It would be uh, like somebody saying, well, he's not a bad athlete. What does that mean? It means he's a good athlete, Right? Or, you know, you know, you know, you won't be sorry, which means you'll be glad, right? So when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what he's really saying is, I glory in the gospel. So he's taking this strong stance about that which he has, the message he has, the Jesus that he's serving. This is incredible news. And he better be right walking into the culture that he's walking into. The reason he shares this statement is because of the verse that comes before it. He says, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And then there's this little word for that's not mentioned in the NIV. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. You see, if he's going to walk into the powerhouse of civilization, if you're going to walk into Washington, D.C. today and say you have an answer for the problems of the world, And what were they dealing with? They were dealing with slavery. They were dealing with greed, lust, violence. Guess what? Nothing ever seems to change in culture, does it? And Paul is telling them that some lowly Galilean carpenter, prophet, 
is going to bring freedom and power and strength to Rome. Blow Paul off. But as we see a history unfold, Jesus Christ and the Christian faith did conquer Rome and turn it. Then it ended up becoming corrupt later on and some other kinds of things. But the power of Jesus changed civilization at that time. Do you believe that can happen today? With all the news you watch and the concerns you have in your neighborhood. And other, I mean, you know, sometimes when, you know, you hear about tragedy elsewhere, then things come close to you at home. Like I mentioned, there was a school shooting a few weeks ago that was at a, high school, a middle school that was close to where some of my kids went to and played games at and stuff. I'm like, that hits close to home. And, you know, this week the mailboxes over here in our complex were torn open, and we don't know if we got all the mail. Hopefully we did. And there are some others in French Valley, no torn open. And you're like, why do people do this stuff? Why, why is there so much... Uh, Violence and, and other kinds of uh, uh, animosity on television and, and people pushing back and forth. Well, friends, Paul, if he was here in our culture today, he would step right into it and say, on Independence Week, let me tell you, America, that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. Because what he went after in Rome and in the culture of that time wasn't to fix all these different ills because he knew the ill that needed to be fixed was freedom needed to come, deliverance needed to come, salvation needed to come in the hearts and the lives of individuals. And as the hearts and lives of individuals were turned towards God, then the ills of society would subside. And whether that nation or communities or or you name the village environments, they would turn towards God. So I'm not here to be dismissive of the ills of our culture and some of the things that are bantered around in politics and otherwise. But I'm telling you what, as a follower of Jesus Christ today, you should never, ever let go of the understanding that it's the power of gospel that's the salvation of our country. And it's the power of the gospel that's the salvation of our country because the power of the gospel can change lives. And some of your lives in here have been changed because of the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Your life was rocky. It was stormy. And Jesus walked by. His spirit maybe today in this service is walking by speaking to you saying, where are you at? What's going on? And he's calling you to get out of the boat. And he says, you come to me. You come to me. And he has saved and changed and transformed your life. You know, what follows on the heels of this in verse 17 is for the gospel. In the gospel, this is why it's the power. It is the righteousness from God. It's revealed. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Peter starts to sink. Jesus says, oh, you have so little faith. This faith issue is pretty huge. Faith issue is pretty huge. What does all that mean? Well, the faith issue is your belief and your trust in who Jesus Christ is and that he can change and transform your life, your friend's life, your neighbor's life, your enemy's life, and he can transform your country and your world. Somebody got a hold of Romans 1, 17 a number of years ago, radically changed his life and changed the world. Do you know who that was? Martin Luther. This verse 
Verse 17 of Romans 1 was what Martin Luther got a hold of and the whole Reformation was born out of that. It's not by works and you trying to get your act together on your own, but it's by faith in the one who walks by you on the water and can change and transform your life. And friends, I just want us to worship Jesus and the beauty of his holiness on this Independence Sunday as we head into celebration of fireworks and other things this week and continue to hold out, oh my God, Jesus, help our world by getting our focus set back on where the focus needs to be, and that is on salvation, on deliverance, on real freedom, not just for the world, but where you're at in your own life. And so, the first tense of salvation is past freedom. Do you know, if you have been saved, freedom from the penalty of sin? We challenge people. You've been challenged. I was challenged at a young age. I remember when I was very young, being challenged by Billy Graham by watching him on television. you got to be born again. Just as you are, will you surrender your life to Jesus and let him forgive your sins? You see, sin is the issue that's got to be addressed. But it's a heart issue. When Jesus Christ came, he didn't come to give some practical how-to good steps. Just live a good life, you'll be all good. He had to deal with the issue of sin. And the issue of sin was foremostly dealt with at the cross. If sin didn't need to be dealt with, then Jesus didn't need to be crucified. But Jesus shed his blood, and in a little bit we're going to remember Christ's salvation and his work on the cross by the breaking of the bread and the taking of the cup. Jesus Christ was crucified and was raised from the grave to deal with the penalty of your sin. Paul goes on in Romans. He starts to unpack it pretty big. He's, you know, he's, I'm not ashamed of gospel of God, for it is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for then the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed first by, from faith. And then he goes on and says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth with their wickedness, since what may be known about God has been made plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And he takes off from that point, and he starts describing some hideous sins. He also talks about there's no one righteous, not even one, and that we have turned our way from God. The first part of Romans, you're like, who wants to read this story? This isn't being very nice. Friends, you've got to deal with the reality of sin in your life and in your friend's life, your spouse's life, your kid's life, your neighbor's life, your co-worker's life. We have all sinned and we are facing death. Not only eternal physical death, we are facing personal human death. Everybody's trying to get you know, high on maybe this drug or this activity or this type of uh, licentiousness or exposure to immorality. Everybody's trying to get some, and you're like, Wait, what are you trying to do? There's an interior life issue that's broken. And the only way that that interior life gets fixed is by fixing the sin issue. And the sin issue, it begins by realizing that you're a sinner. Here I am. I'm a sinner. I won't ask for hands this morning, but all of our hands would go up. We're human beings. We were born in sin. The fall won't get in that. We live in this state of brokenness. And if you 
if you've got too uh, confident, I'll put the nice word out there rather than arrogant spirit, thinking that you don't need God, then you're really not doing a very good self-diagnosis of your condition. You're selfish. I'm selfish. I'm indifferent. I fall in all kinds of ways. I'm a sinner. You acknowledge you're a sinner, then you've got some hope. You know why? Because there's a Savior. But if you don't acknowledge you're a sinner, then I don't have anything for you. I got nothing. The Bible had nothing for you. Paul has nothing. Jesus has nothing. You recognize you're a sinner, though, and you've got hope. And Jesus came and he died for sinners. He dealt with the penalty of your sin for the wages of sin is death. Eternal death and everyday death because you're not fully alive in Christ as we say here at the Awakening Church. So, question. Do you know if you have been saved? Have you ever crossed over that line of faith to saying I'm a sinner and I repent? Jesus has walked by. I'm going to now follow him command me to come to you and Jesus says to you this morning even if you're not a follower of Jesus you come get out of the boat it's stormy in there anyway come walk with me salvation there's a past freedom it's freedom from the penalty of sin that's why the verse that was mentioned there in the the video John 8 31 To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Of course, they're answering, and they're like confused. Uh, We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. Thank you very much. So how can you say that we shall be set free? I don't need to be saved. I don't need deliverance. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the freedom we're talking about. That's the freedom that you and I need to to grab a hold of. Past freedom, verse tense. Second, present freedom. Do you believe you are being saved? Freedom from the power of sin. So Peter gets out of the boat, right? He's having this terrific salvation experience, man. I mean, this is a miracle. This is going to be taught throughout ages. 2,000 years later, some guy named Kerry is going to be speaking on it in a church even in the middle of Southern California. And so this is a pretty big experience. But then he sees the water. He begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. If you are a believer this morning... If you've crossed over the line of faith, if Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins, past, present, and future, he's forgiven you and and changed and transformed you as a born-again believer in Christ, if you know that the penalty of sin has been dealt with, that if you were to die tonight that you'd stand before the Lord and he'd say, why should I let you come in? And he sees Jesus living in you because you invited Jesus to live in your life. Then I want you to know that that is a powerful experience. Your past freedom. You need present freedom because the power of sin is still working its way in your life. Your mindset, your actions, your activities, your indifference. And the power of sin is like the waves in the storm of the sea that Peter saw and he began to sink. And I see this happen. In fact, 
<clears throat> I've seen, I know I have my own life, but a lot of times as I counsel, encourage, and disciple other people, happens all the time. You're doing well. Beautiful experience walking on the water. And then, oh my goodness, life catches up. Or some of those addictive things of the past, or some of your double-mindedness, some of your lack of discipline in following Jesus, and you start to sink, and all around you is a storm. You start to even doubt your own salvation. Well, I don't think anything's changed in my life. Jesus, where are you at? What's going on? I can't do this. I'm just going to go back to what I did before. And you return as a dog returns to its vomit, the scripture says. And you're like, what in the world are you doing there? Or being the farm kid I am, we didn't have hogs growing up, but a hog returns to its waller, they say. Why? Well, it's trying to cool itself off in the mud. But sometimes I see Christians returning to the mud they've been rolling around in. They return to the vomit of their former life. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I don't go up to him and say, are you not saved? You need to get all saved over again. No. You need to understand something. That there is a freedom from the power of sin that has to happen on a daily basis in your life. You need present freedom. So I question, do you believe you are being saved? Because this is the ongoing aspect of Jesus helping you every day in your life change from that vice to choose love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit. You need Christ to save you each and every moment of the day as you choose to live in Him. Salvation. Deliverance. Freedom. It's present. It's just not something, oh, a long time ago, I remember I got saved. No, I praise the Lord Jesus before I walked down here this morning that he saved me fresh and anew to be able to stand in front of you because I am a sinner and it's Jesus that wants to speak to you through his spirit today. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We have one who is not only Christ our Savior, but Christ, as Scripture says, is our sanctifier, one who's changing and transforming us. Galatians 1 Three, Paul's writing in this area as well. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. He was so pumped up and excited about these Christians in Galatia. This is in the Turkey Minor area because Paul started a lot of churches in the Turkey area. And he was so excited that they got saved and, and they knew grace and they weren't living by legalistic works and, and do this and don't do that and that'll make you a good religious person. No, they just received Jesus and Jesus was changing their life from the inside out. But then something happened to these folks. They got back around their old friends who were religious nuts. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He just says, stop, wait a second, what's going on? Who stepped in your way? You had this freedom. You had this joy of walking on the water. And now look at you. You're sinking all over the place. You're just crying out and you're giving up. And you have taken on the baggage of religion. Because see, they were trying to tell them, Oh, so you're a Jesus follower now, but you're a Jew. So you still need to do all these rituals. Oh, you're a Gentile. You're a non-Jew. Well, if you want to be a part of us and you want to be a Christian Jew, then you've got to get circumcised. You've got to do certain religious rituals and rites. And Paul's like, what? Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. 
Jesus comes to save, he saves all. And why would you return to your waller of going back into some legalistics, works righteousness to think that's what saves you, delivers you, and gives you freedom? It doesn't. Jesus gives you freedom. His grace has been brought to your life. And then one of my favorite passages, I know pastors say that a lot, but this really is one of my many favorite passages, is Galatians 5.1. He just simply says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's just simply calling out to them, going, don't. Stop, Christian, stop. This week of Independence Day and celebrating freedom. Have you lost your freedom as a believer in Christ because you've lost your understanding of the wonder and the beauty of the gospel of God's grace? He forgave your sins past, present, and future. He not only came and died for the penalty for your sin, but when he broke the chains of Satan by dying on that cross and Satan wanted him to take himself off the cross and not follow through by shedding his blood and breaking his body and dying for the world, he broke the power of Satan. And the power of sin is the deliverance for the Christian today as well. And so this image, and it just sort of got tied together in my mind this week as I was thinking about how to share and all that's going on. I'm like, you know, Peter, seeing the wind, the storm in the middle of the night and him sinking is so descriptive of our life as believers. We're doing well, and then we just start sinking all over the place. And people even look and go, what's, what's happening there? It's because you're not living in present freedom. That's why Paul goes on and he describes in Galatians 5, you, my brothers, were called to be free. You were called to walk on water. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbors yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, this biting and devouring each other is not only in our um, public culture at large. It's in churches as well. In fact, he's talking to Christians here. He said, what are you doing? You're allowing that sinful nature to reign supreme in your life and Christ died to the power of sin, and you don't have to succumb to that. So I say in verse, the next verse, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want to do. Paul recognizes that you're going to have storms. You're going to start to sink. You're doing well as a Christian believer, and you're like, what in the world you just go back to your own vomit for? What are you taking drugs for again? What are you out there being promiscuous for again? What are you out there trying to, to sort of undermine and cheat people in a way? Weigh the scales, as they said in the Old Testament. What are you doing that stuff for? He's, he's, he's not saying that you aren't tempted to do it or you don't fall to do that. He understands there's a conflict going on, but he says you've got to stop it. Because Jesus is your Savior and He can give you present freedom. Deliverance and salvation over the power of that sin in your life. But you've got to make that turn. You've got to make that turn to him. And you've got to say to yourself, Jesus, save me. Just like you did when you were converted. Every day.
Jesus, save me. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, Romans 7, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then what's his answer? Oh, thank God. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Save me. And if you're in that quagmire of being a miserable person here this morning, I want you to call out to Jesus. Maybe in the privacy of your room tonight before you go to bed, you cry out to Jesus and you repent and you ask him afresh to pull you out of the stormy waters that are you in. He will set you on solid ground, solid water even. So three tenses, past freedom, present freedom. Past freedom, do you know if you've been saved? The freedom from the penalty of sin. Present freedom, do you believe you are being saved? Freedom from the power of sin. But then there's the third tense, and that is future freedom. Do you hope you will be saved? Freedom from the presence of sin. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Christians need to dwell on this more and more. Because we do live in a battle in our world. But I don't think we take as much hope as we should look into the future. One day, sin will be gone. Can you comprehend a world like that? You don't have to lock your doors then, right? You don't have to second guess if somebody's trying to, you know, pull one over on you. No more sin. Romans 8, 18, back into Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation itself will be liberated from its bodies to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. (sighs) Paul. He's calling us to get our eyes set to the future for that third tense, our future freedom. Freedom from the presence of sin. As long as we're in this world and Satan is a roaming lion and we have one foot in Adam, if for no other reason we physically die unless the Lord returns, we have a sinful nature that we battle with. And we want the power over that nature through Christ in the present freedom moment. But friends, part of the strength that you can gain is to look to the future, that there is coming a day of future freedom when there will be no more sin. You will no longer have that sin nature be gone. You'll be made new in your redeemed, glorified, resurrected body, an imperishable body. Satan will be cast in the pit and all of his workers and punished forever. And Jesus Christ will reign in the presence of his people face to face in heaven and on a new earth. It's an incredible hope that we have. We need to think about that hope on a regular basis. And so with the analogy of walking on water, I think in terms of Jesus grabbing Peter out of his present need for freedom, getting them back in the boat. And I had one of my big questions in this whole story was why? Why Why did Jesus not calm the waters before he told Peter to get out of the boat? I don't know, but in this analogy, my thinking this week is like, well, isn't that incredible? 
Peter gets back in the boat. Jesus gets us back in the boat with the other disciples. And then he calms the water. And it's all at peace. Sort of a picture of future salvation. Future freedom. The Lord Jesus is not frantically running around. Oh my gosh, how am I going to pull off this thing of saving this world? He already saved the world. He is saving the world. And one day, he will save the world. A past, present, and future tense of salvation. Get a hold of it. Practice it in your own life. And you will experience truly a week of freedom this Independence Week. So with that, I'm going to ask Joe to come up. We're just going to spend some moments by allowing you to pray where you're at. In one of these three areas, maybe. You're also going to have time to be able to just get up and go to the communion table. I'm going to pray as as we have the opportunity to go and to break the bread. Jesus, he met with his disciples. He broke the bread, and then he took the cup. He says, the bread's my body that was broken for you. The cup represents my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me until I come again and I do away with sin for all time. And so we stand between the times. We stand on this side of the cross, experiencing that salvation, anticipating the culmination of his kingdom when he comes again. And we get to just worship Jesus in these moments. So I'm just going to have Joe, if you just play an instrumental, these are your moments. And get up as you feel led, go to the tables. There's one in this back corner, one up here. doesn't matter if you're a part of this church or not. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you come to the table and you remember the salvation, the freedom, the deliverance that the Lord has brought you. And maybe, even in light of when I think about us relocating and the opportunity to be more central in the valley and some other stuff, friends, there's just a lot of broken people that need to be saved and freed. Maybe your friends you could pray for during this time. I was driving to Rob's house the other day to get the tables over there. God was speaking to me about this message, and I said, Lord, do I really care for other people? Do we really care as a church? You know, why would we take on some initiative like what we're trying to take on? Is it the right thing to do? That kind of stuff. You just wrestle with that for the Lord. But he says, Carrie, it's not about the building. It's not about the programs. It's about individual lives. Look around you in the cars that are driving by you once again. And he'll have me do this every now and then. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I already got too many burdens. People I'm carrying that I pray for. And the stop and go traffic. I'm not gawking. I'm not a weirdo. But I look into the cars that are around me at every stop. And I say, Jesus cares for that person. Jesus died for that person. Has anybody prayed for that person for their salvation ever in their life? Maybe they're a believer. Maybe they need salvation over the power of sin in their life today. Lord, wake me up to people around me. Wake us up as a church because this is why we exist, to see people come fully alive in Christ and to his mission. That's why... Students are going to camp and some of their friends are taking along. It's another church that's joining them, but we have over 60 students from our church going. Just to have a good time, build friends, sure. But know that their lives get established with the Savior. Do you care that that beautiful truth of the salvation 
is not being imparted to everyone you have contact with. So maybe your prayer for communion is a prayer of brokenness. Jesus, we thank you for your salvation, for your deliverance and your freedom this Independence Week. We thank you that you save us when we cry out. Lord, past, present, and future, may you speak those words. And if there's anyone in this room that needs to cross that line of faith, repent of their sin, and turn towards you, I pray that they would do that even as we take communion. If there's any Christian here that's living double-minded, that needs to experience afresh your power over sin in their life, Lord, I pray they would find strength in a moment such as this worship. And Jesus, if we've lost sight of that future hope, then remind us again that one day we are going to take of these elements, the bread and the cup, with you at the Lamb's Supper in heaven. That day's coming as surely as this week. Lord, we love you, and we do pray for others that need your salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>